I don't want a pickle. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is the Nokomoto Podcast, episode number 209. I'm your host, Moto G Pete, and with me is your other host, Swiggy. Yo. Coming to you from Nokomoto Podcast Headquarters, which is also Moto One Podcast Network Studios recording suite A. All right, Swigs. So it's it's been a while, but we're back here recording. We're back on something that looks like a drop schedule again. It you know, a lot of people were panicking. There wasn't some content out for a while. We did a double drop. Um, you know, I explained that we lost a lot of recording and well, the president of Moto One freaked out and he sent us another army of interns and, you know, um, I was trying to, we were trying to recover data off a corrupted SD card and we just didn't have a powerful enough computer. So the president of the Moto One Podcast Network Studios hired about 6,000 interns. He basically, he basically took a whole dorm and told them they would all get intern credit, but we put them all on bicycles and with some uh, pedal power, we got a powerful enough computer to recover the data off this SD card. It's a long way to go, but there we are. So, Swigs. We have an episode today with, let's see, best worst bike in the world this week. We're going to do some news stories. We've got emails and there was something else, but I can't remember. It doesn't matter. We've got enough for an episode and we're going to do it. You know, we never did on the show that we should do. We should announce some upcoming events first before we go any further, right? So what kind of events have we got showing? I only do this because every other motorcycle podcast seems to talk a lot about events. So I feel like maybe we should do it. You know, uh, this weekend is uh, MotoGP in Le Mans. Um, let's see what else is happening. I think Sturgis is happening this year. That's an event, right? Uh, I think Knock from motorcycles of misfits is going to i think uh two saturdays from now recreate the famous divine dog turd eating scene from the end of pink flamingos don't want to miss that um Mark calendars <laughs> okay um, all right so uh what else you know, I had things I really wanted to say at the beginning of this episode, and I can't remember any of them. Let's just do best worst bike in the world this week. What do you say? Let's do it. Okay, so this is the segment where every week we uh, we've each chosen a motorcycle, and we don't know what each other have chosen. It's always going to be a surprise. One's going to be the best bike in the world this week, and one's going to be the worst. Remember, it's really just a fun way to look at two different motorcycles in a way that you might not normally look at them. You can send emails regarding your outrage to contact at nokomotopodcast.com or check in the show notes for an email address. And, uh, Swigs, you have best bike in the world this week i do and are you ready to reveal it i am okay 
And the best bike in the world this week is... The Royal Enfield Hunter 350. Oh, you're going with two Royal Enfields in a row. I am. Okay. Now, my reasoning for this is a little bit different. I think that the Royal Enfield, the Hunter 350, is in many ways an absolute no-brainer choice as the most uncomplicated, reliable motorcycle. Okay. So, this is uh, a 350 that's only making 20 horsepower, 20 foot-pounds of torque. It's got a 54-inch wheelbase, you know, under 400 pounds, and... It's just a very simple two-valve, single-overhead cam motor with fuel injection. Uh, And essentially, what this really screams to me is possibly the best um, uh, Why am I I blanking on it? Uh... Are you going to say something about the Honda Highness? No, no, this is not like that at all. Uh, Well, this bike is like that. (laughs) Well, I mean, it kind of is, except it's probably way, actually significantly less powerful. But um, it's, it is possibly the greatest candidate for an MSF uh, course bike. Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, Well, I mean, mm, well, okay, first question is this bike available in the USA? Uh, it's definitely available in Europe right now. And Australia, mm. which we know from talking with Bruce, but uh, I don't think it's available in the US. I mean, it might be, but I, I'm not aware of that. I feel like I would be aware of that, but maybe not. Yeah. And if you, uh, if you find a new story... Is. It is available. Okay, excellent. All right. Well, that right away, it's best bike in the world this week because everybody and their fucking barber or anyone within shouting distance or or whatever or, or anyone within bourbon ferry distance of the Cleveland Moto podcast has a huge boner for – the Honda CP350 H-ness or highness. It was the highness, and then it was like the H-I apostrophe-ness, and now it's just the H-ness, whatever that thing is, right? The the Hero Honda 350 single. I can't single. wait until the Brits start talking about it, and it becomes the H-ness. The H-ness, <laughs> yeah, right? Anyway, everyone is fucking obsessed with that bike, and you know what? It does look cool. The idea of a super cheap 350 single in that old um, CB style for whatever Indian price point does sound pretty fucking cool. You know, to get like a $1,000 price break off of essentially what's a a regular Honda CB300, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's only going to be – I mean, I think it's going to be similar to this like 20 horsepower that – that this uh, Royal Enfield is supposedly. So let's call that like 17 to the rear wheel. Right. But that's Mm -hmm. enough to hit 70, 75 miles an hour. Right. 
just barely by the skin of your teeth. That that's enough for that. So I I mean this is a realistic bike that some Americans will want. But a Honda doesn't have the balls to bring one over, apparently, even though they're prepared to bring over the XR150, which intrigues me also. But here we go. Royal Enfield has the balls to put it in the American market. I say bravo. Now, here is the absolute best-selling feature of this bike. ABS, four grand price tag. So this That's is real nice. This is a highway capable ve- vehicle. It's got enough power and enough torque. It's got a low seat. It's a 31 inch seat, 54 inch wheelbase. That's not low. I mean, it's not high, but I for a, for something to be low seat height, I want to see 27. This is going to be for a standard bike. It's it's going to be a good height for many people to ride. It's low weight, it's got ABS, it's got predictable power, and it's at a stretch, you know, it's, you know, it's good for short bursts on the highway, and it's got the ABS. So, and it's also with the shorter wheel, with the short wheelbase, it's going to be maneuverable around town. So ultimately what this is is if you were if somebody was originally looking to get something like a grom because it's cheap and it's small and it's approachable here you can say well let's go up just a little bit in size let's even though it's double the horsepower you know it's not that bad with a bit more weight and you're going to get the abs and you're going to be able to take it more places this is so much more of a compelling option that somebody who would originally have gone for something like a Grom could pick up. Um, especially if you compare it to something like the Navi. This is so much more compelling of a beginning, beginner option. Unless you're going for, like, absurdly small size and, you know, be, you know because you want to take it down, you want to take it up the stairs into your apartment or something. Like... This is really a far more, you know, if you're just trying to hit these basic points and you're not concerned about power, you're not concerned about high performance, and you just want something entry level, and you want something that looks kind of a little bit retro and a little bit stylish, this really hits on a lot of key things that a lot of new riders who don't know a lot about motorcycles uh, want and probably should want. I agree on the should wanting it part. Um, a lot of people are – they're going to be put off by the it being a – well, I don't know if they're going to be put off. You know, I've been thinking a lot lately about ever since we were walking around MotoGP with John, how way too close to everything I am. And, and at some point, I want to do an episode around this. There's really three kinds of buyers – There's people buying their first motorcycle. There's people buying their second motorcycle. Well, there's four. Then there's people – then there's um, seasoned buyers 
who it's just up in the fucking air. You have no idea what to sell them. And then there's people buying dream bikes, right? So big adventure bikes are kind of for people buying their second bikes or whatever. But, you know, that third category of, you know, people like us, the vast majority of our listeners who are on their, like, 18th motorcycle or whatever, right? It's impossible to make a bike for us because we're all just so splintered and specialized into what we want, right? Right. And then when it comes to – and some of us circle around and want – kind of beginner style bikes again for whatever weird reasons that we have some of us are just going to go bigger and bigger in displacement and never going to go back hence why a bunch of engine sizes are constantly getting larger on one end smaller on the other and there's nothing left in the middleweights there's plenty of people who i i so this is aimed at the beginner market and i you know these magazines everyone gets all excited about entry-level bikes because honestly these are the only fucking people who go to like motorcycle magazine websites anymore or people who are thinking about buying a motorcycle right you've already bought the motorcycle like well i have a motorcycle why do i need to look on the internet about you know beginner motorcycles anymore I, i don't need to right it's a, I'll go to Reddit and find real motorcycle shit. I'll go to YouTube and find real motorcycle shit. I'll listen to podcasts and find real motorcycle shit. The only people – so there's going to be a bunch of buzz about this. It's kind of for me because we talk to people on this show, you know, through through our podcast who are curious about bikes as well. When I hear other podcasts talk about this bike and bikes like them – they always frame it in this context of like, well, am I going to buy this? And it, and if I step outside of myself completely and go, let's go back to square one, $4,000. Okay. The next question I want as someone who's buying their first motorcycle is how cool does that? Well, no. If I well, I don't know. I I, well, I don't know which question is more important. How fast does it go, and what's the claimed top speed? It doesn't have to actually be its top speed. It doesn't have to be attainable. It just needs to be something that I can tell people. And you know, and it needs to be close to a hundred miles an hour. Do we have a top speed on this bike? Uh, I have not seen just yet let's see horsepower is not going to be a huge issue people that are going for this kind of style of bike aren't going to Uh, mind of being a little lower in displacement at 350 they're going to look back to old british bikes and stuff and be like oh well i mean 350 that was a common displacement people race those that's not a big deal it says 71 miles an hour okay if they can i mean that i think that's perfectly reasonable in the real world if they can lie and get that up to like 92 We've got a real winner on our hands. You know? Mm-hmm. 
Or if they can just advertise some sort of performance kit. Well, because uh, here's the thing. If, if the dealers can, can sell it with a kit with like a different pipe or something that like bounces it up a couple horsepower, brother, right? Then they can just live in this imaginary world where they're like, oh, well, it can do this. I haven't bought the kit yet. I'm going to. I'm just easing into it at first, man. You know, but it's something to let them down easy that, you know, you're not going to be the fastest guy on the road. But you, you know what I mean? You need a little something. You need a little something to let people know. You know what I'm saying? I. That's the only missing part of this puzzle, I think. But the styling's on point for this bike. I think they should just sell it with a complimentary pair of sandals. <laughs> Maybe. Um, just some uh, cotton pants and a pair of sandals. The ABS is nice. Uh, so, so the other question is, is what does this have besides the Royal Enfield name? that classes it above that Yamaha SR400 that flopped huge years ago. Uh, the fact that it's much, much cheaper. Well, it's like four or $500 cheaper. Uh, wasn't the, the SR400 like six grand? Uh, you know, I don't remember. I Yeah, it was kind of expensive, wasn't it? Yeah, it was six grand. Oh. Okay. Well, never mind. Well, it was six grand in like twenty eighteen dollars too. Yeah. So yeah, this is four grand, and it comes with ABS and an electric start and a battery. That's true. The SR four hundred was kickstart only. It was kickstart fuel injected. A weird combo. Also, weirdly, it all it has more torque. Because the the SR well, yeah, it's, the SR four hundred was like eighteen foot pounds or something or like sixteen. It was like really low. Yeah, you had to really ring the throttle on that thing. I, I rode one. Um. Okay. Okay. Well, at four grand. Okay. Ah. Now we're getting more into something compelling. Okay. But you I do don't get think the ABS. I don't think you're competing with any other bike of a similar displacement. I think what you're competing with is the people who would have bought the Navi or people who would have bought the Grom. And you just say, look, if you just go... I think Grom people are a different thing. You might... I bet you're competing more with the Navi than you are the Grom. There there are a lot of people who do buy the Grom as an entry-level bike. And if you could just say, look, we all know that ABS on cars is super great and everyone should have it. And honestly, if you're a young person and you have a car... Without ABS these days, you know, you're kind of a daredevil. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but you can point to that and you can just say to any person who's more, who's younger and more safety conscious, you can just say, look, just spend a little bit money, get a little bit of a bigger bike. You're going to have some bigger tires on this. You're going to have some better brakes and you're going to have ABS. And I think it's the ABS at $4,000 that is just going to say just let's just go here this is the right place to go to i mean it must be the cheapest abs on the market i think it might be yeah i am 
I mean, we know from Bruce that the power is not anemic. He was just telling us, you know, he's got a KTM and a and a and a, a Triumph and a bunch of stuff. And and uh, I think it's a Ninja Four Hundred. Anyway, um, you know, he said it was. You know, we we were talking about how the uh, the Royal Enfields made forty five horsepower feel like seventy, and he said, you know, it was. 20 horsepower that made it feel like, you know, 50 or something. It was, I believe it. You know, it's going to be making that lower horsepower probably at the, you know, the, the, the trade-off is probably a little bit more torque. I'm going to guess. So as long as it, as long as it pulls a little bit, we're great. Um, But yeah, it's straight up. I mean, it's straight up XT250's levels of sophistication, single overhead cam, two valve air cooled where the most sophisticated thing is the abs and the fuel injection yeah but that fuel injection counts for so much if it's your first bike and it's not a used piece of shit okay i'm with you i'm with i I think this package makes sense now i i still think they should lie about the top speed i think they need to lie about the top speed i think that'd be good (laughs) but um oh they did they did add the one really useful accessory as a standard uh feature oh uh a usb charger um okay uh sure i is it um i mean i've thought for a long time you know how like motor like you still every dealership has to add the little sae battery charger pigtail I don't know why every factory for like the last 15 years hasn't just put those on every bike as standard and built a USB charger into them. It's available as a product for like $23 from uh battery from the, what's it? Tender, whatever you call it. Uh, battery tender. Battery tender. Yeah, yeah. Just sells one. I don't know why every factory just doesn't, have battery tender for yet no one's going to notice the 23,000 $23 on your $4,000 motorcycle okay just eat it and put that in there Uh, it's fine okay all right let's move on to worst bike in the world this week you ready yep okay and the worst bike in the world this week is the 1982 I can't remember if it was 81 or 82. Yes, 1981 Honda GL 500 Silverwing. Um, I mean, either of them, the regular 500 Silverwing or the Silverwing Interstate. Now, some people Is are going to be automatic pissed. Or? Just the regular. Okay. They made it. They made an automatic Silverwing. I thought they did. I don't think. Oh they no, did. they made the three hundred the automatic, didn't they? It was a. There was like a similar. Uh, you're thinking of the CM four hundred. Oh yeah. The Prince motorcycle. No, no, no. This is the GL five hundred Silverwing. So, um, here's the thing. So this is basically a Honda CX five hundred, right? Now the CX five hundred on its own. I don't have a big problem with. But this bike reframed as the GL500 Silverwing is a disaster for 
many, many reasons. Okay, so 1981 rolls around. The G, uh, the the um, the this is the so so they they did the GL one thousand Goldwing nineteen seventy five through seventy nine. 1980, it gets bumped up to the 1100. Everyone loved the GL1000, unprecedented success for Honda. The GL1100 comes out. Hey, this one's even better. Sells like hotcakes and gangbusters. Hey, maybe we'd sell even more of these, or we could capitalize on this fantastic idea we had to put out this the ultimate touring motorcycle let's have a middleweight touring motorcycle in fact let's have a middleweight full dressed motorcycle fairing side bags top box right and that's all well and good but it turns out no one wanted it there was now this is Honda at their most Honda-est, right? Nobody else had a full-dressed middleweight touring motorcycle. And to my knowledge, still don't. I, I, if there's another middleweight full-dressed touring motorcycle, I'd like to know about it. And Honda's still doing this today, right? There's the uh, Rebel 1100 tour that just came out. Honda is still trying to push a middleweight tour on you. I mean, I don't know if 1100 is really middleweight, but it is by today's standards. I guess it is. I don't for a tour. I guess it's middleweight or whatever. For a parallel twin, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, whatever. Okay. So, so Honda never fully gives up on an idea. It's no Dovil, though. It's no do- Dovil. <laughs> but it, it, but the, Honda will let ideas go dormant for a decade or so. Now, the Silverwing has been reimagined, right? Because remember, they also tried to throw the Silverwing name into a maxi scooter. Like, well, if we can't, it can be the Goldwing of scooters, and we'll call that the Silverwing. Did this come with an eight track option? Right. Because if it did go for one but so um the 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 big problem here is that the goldwing name is a fantastic name and silverwing is a shitty name but gl500 is cumbersome also right they and also it doesn't make any sense because it's not the same engine setup as the Goldwing. So yeah. why use the same engine designation, right? Now, I, maybe if they called it like the CX five hundred T, right? The CX Tourer that that would have framed it differently in people's minds. So. Let's get into this. So, so the motor's not terrible, right? It's a Honda CX frame essentially, and a Honda CX motor. So, this is a V-twin, four-valve motor, supposedly making fifty peak horsepower at five hundred cc's. Not too bad. So, you're probably getting somewhere around forty horsepower. I don't know. These are all shaft drive as well. Because this is the Honda Moto Guzzi, right? And I mean, I mean, I mean, it it pulled. Apparently, it was like thirty 
five foot pounds of torque, somewhere around there. Um, not I now. Here's the thing. It would have been okay on the highways at the time. At the time. The speed limit was 55. Right? Right. Now, the thing is, is that even the write-ups from the time, though, compare it to the Goldwing, and it's just not great. So, there's a write-up from the time, and this is one of the reasons I really love MotorcycleSpecs.co.za, is they often find these write-ups from the release of the bike, and it's just like every paragraph is apologizing for the bike whilst trying to say something nice about it. And it's not good. Um, so this one talks, I mean, first of all, it talks about how the brakes aren't really up to what the regular Goldwing had. It says, oh, it makes 50 horsepower. Like, well, not quite as much as the GL. Oh, I mean, it's a full second slower than the Goldwing in the quarter mile. Uh, I think it does a quarter mile in uh, 15 seconds. So it was not super fast for even being a smaller, more nimble bike, supposedly, than the GL. Um, it... Uh, uh, this, this is not exactly identical to the CX in that it had the ProLink suspension. So this is a single monoshock. Apparently the suspension's the best thing about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, they complain in the write-up from 1981 in Motorcycle Magazine that the gears are ridiculously short. And this yeah. is one of its big problems because it's got the same gearbox as the CX 500. Um, if you're trying to do a launch off the line from new, the clutch slipped. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see what else. They say. I'm just like going through this. Okay. So there's the pro link thing. Uh, rear suspension. Um, they said, okay, the rear suspension is the best part of the bike they're talking about, but they're like, you know, if it had a bit more rebound damping to improve the bike's handling, we could sacrifice some of the smooth ride. And <laughs> this is straight from the article. Um, uh, oh, oh, here. And then it says the front fork nearly matches the responsiveness of the pro link. Mm. <laughs> and then it, and, um, and these are 35 millimeters. Um, I will say the, oh, one look, look, the 35 millimeter show a fork never bottoms noticeably. <laughs> <laughs> I will say one thing I am kind of enamored look, with here is oh, the, even is during the hard braking on large bumps provided the air pressure is jacked up sufficiently in advance. So if there's a big bump coming up, you'd better stop, jack up the suspension with air pressure, and then proceed. <laughs> I will say I, I am enamored with this, uh, the single seat variant with the, um, with it's not even a rear rack. I'm going to get to that. That is actually the only brilliant part of this. Uh, that's something that I... Okay. So, um, 
so oh, well, okay, let's talk about the luggage. Um, um, okay, so they talk about how the saddlebags are nicely finished, detachable, they lock shut. Ooh. Um, but uh, they can't take more than 20 pounds worth of cargo, supposedly. But they have infuriating seatbelt-type buckles and locking arms that apparently are a huge pain in the ass to deal with to actually detach these bags. So this is like an early go at detachable, lockable storage that wasn't really figured out. Now, they hold plenty of volume, but not a lot of weight. But you're right. Would you be surprised most bags, even today, are not rated for a lot of weight? A lot of them will be 20 to 30 pounds maximum. Now, I am perfectly happy to far exceed that weight limit. But, um, no, in terms of rated limit, that's actually kind of normal, even for today. Well, is that the rating of the bags, or are they just? The, but they probably can't say, "Well, let's take a rider, and then all these other bags that are rated for you know sixty pounds each." By the time we add it all up, we've exceeded the weight limit of this the entire suspension of the whole bike or whatever. I I don't know if they do it like that, but no, I mean that's it, that's in the, the realm of what they say, like. Honda puts that stupid fucking like like metal rack on 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 top of the the NC750X tank and there's a sticker on it that says you know put no more than 4 pounds on this rack. Right. And it's like fuck off. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. No way. Yeah, it's like you could roll up a sleeping bag and put it on here. Just make sure you squeeze all the air out of it. <laughs> uh yeah. So uh, the one brilliant part of this bike is, um, well, first of all, the fairing is good because it's the Honda 1100 Honda line fairing. It's the same fairing. So you get a Goldwing fairing on it, and no one's ever complained about a Goldwing fairing. It's got the integrated turn signals in it. It's going to get you slightly better miles per gallon. It's, you know, the, the aerodynamics of the bike are going to be good with that. Can't complain about the Honda line fairing. The second thing that I do love is that the, quote, top box on this isn't really a top box. And this is the one brilliant idea that this bike really brings to the game. Where your passenger seat would be is a box. And it's incorporated very sleek into the bot, into the, 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 the bodywork. And then you as the, as the rider. It's a single seat bike and you get a little backrest that's attached to that too. And that's a really great little idea. Yeah. And but they made it, but because it's where the rider seat would be, it's not a top box up high with a bunch of stupid weight and something catching the wind at what is because where a, where a regular Goldwing or, or a Harley Davidson or whatever big full dresser top boxes is uniquely one of the worst places to put weight on a motorcycle. Yes. But this is 
way lower, centered, right behind you over the rear wheel. It's barely higher than the side bags. This is a perfectly acceptable place to put extra weight. This needs to come back. And here's the thing. You're not even actually sacrificing your passenger seat. Because guess what? When you bought the Honda GL500 Interstate, that came off. It, it came with a passenger seat and that box. And you could swap them out. Mm. And yeah. that's, this is the one brilliant thing this bike brings. Now, nobody wanted this bike. Not even in 1980. Because by 1982... Or, sorry, by 1983, they upgraded to the CX650 or GL650 uh, Silverwing, which nobody wanted either. But they did manage to sell the 650s, and they made too many 500s, and they were still selling the 500s into, like, 1986. And this just ruined the idea of middleweight tours forever. The The mm. Goldwing came around as soon as it was possible, right? As soon as it was possible to make a one liter bike with enough power and the suspension and the bags and everything to make this kind of touring possible was something that wasn't a hard, I mean, I mean, honestly, if you're going to do it with a Harley Davidson in the early eighties, it was a nightmare, but you know, the Goldwing did it as soon as it was possible. And then Honda kind of fucked themselves going like, well, that was a big magic trick. Let's see if we can do it with half the resources, materials and cost. And they couldn't. And I think now they could make a really compelling, uh, half size Goldwing, and by that I mean a 950 cc inline four, a uh, flat four. Mm. I um, I think if well, I'll get I'll get to that in a second. I'll keep talking about this some more. Um, but they can't because the Silverwing has poisoned the well. And we have to wait until every boomer that remembers this is dead to get another half-size Goldwing. And they can't use Silverwing as the name either, probably. I mean, maybe they can when every boomer is dead. But it's going to be a while. I mean, it's not going to be that long, but I mean, 10 years, I don't know. We kind of need a half-size Goldwing now. You know, I think they just have to go... They have to make a hard left. And they have to get away from the normal, like, more technical naming scheme. And they have to get away from uh, anything wing or bird-related and anything, you know, weather phenomena-related as their names normally are. We need to go nautical. We need to give this, like, something, we need to give this a totally different name or for this concept of a, of a middleweight tourer. Like, I don't, like the catamaran or something. The catamaran. 
<laughs> I don't know about that. We, no, it's gotta be. It's gotta be completely disassociated. It's gotta be something weird. Does it? I, I don't know. I, uh, well, okay. So because it can't get tied back to this concept, like this theme. So, so my idea is, um, what if they Wait, Honda no, you know built something? We need a shark name. So a shark need. name. Ooh. The Mako. I was gonna say if you're gonna make shark, shark's not bad. Um, but let's just talk about what the bike would be. If you're gonna have a good stab at this today, I say take the same engine architecture that's in the G, the current GL eighteen hundred, or fuck, even the last generation GL eighteen hundred, and I mean keep it two valves per cylinder. And go back, instead of the flat six, make it a flat four, two valve, with a one liter. Okay, so I've got a GL1000, right? And we were talking about this on the ride back from Austin. I said, you know, the only problem with this bike now that the suspension is sorted and all this stuff is that well, the seat the seat is still from the seventies. I mean, I put a new old stock seat on it, but it's still foam from the seventies, and time's just not kind. I happen to do well with that seat, but a lot of other people wouldn't. The the only issues with this bike now is the seat and the fact that it's seventy horsepower at the crank, and it's still only like forty one foot pounds of torque on a bike that big. If they could get that to like 80, 85 horsepower or 90 horsepower, I think is very realistic on a one liter flat four, even if it's two valve. Make it 90 horsepower and make it 65 foot pounds of torque. And all of a sudden, this, this bike's running with the big dogs. Uh, it, they're, they're, well, it, we really are looking for like Norge numbers just with a much lower center of gravity. Right. Yeah. And, and, but you could make it look like the new Goldwing too. It's just the engine sticks out a little bit less and, and, and you'd have more, you'd have more foot room, right? Uh, you could get the engine like really far forward. It's not going to matter. Uh, um, and just don't put all the bells and whistles on it. It, you know, it, it doesn't need the car play, for example, and it doesn't need the speakers. Anyone that's going to buy the half-size Goldwing is definitely going to have a Bluetooth helmet unit and doesn't give a shit about the speakers. Yeah, just bring back the... Uh, and put this thing on the back seat, too. Give yourself the passenger mm-hmm. seat or little, like, mini top box behind you option on it. That's the one thing they should fucking keep. Put put a 12-volt, tw- like, cigarette lighter plug in the rear compart in the rear storage, and put, like, USB storage. Bring back... The fairing glove box. Yes, bring back the fairing glove box. Also, give it detachable storage like um, like most baggers have. Because one other reason the Goldwing is so insanely expensive is all that body work with the incorporated bags. Now, the, the regular Goldwing absolutely should have that. Of course it should. It's a Goldwing. But the half-size model, no. Just give it detachable luggage or make it an option, right? 
Not not a problem. No one's going to freak out about that. It's not a huge deal. Uh, th- there's Now is the time. Also, can we have a frunk? Well, of course, it's a gold wing. Yeah, it would have a, it would have to have a frunk. But yeah, don't fill it with the airbag and all that other bullshit. Make it a real just frunk. Exactly. Now is the time that this bike could exist and people would really go for it. A little like sort of F4B-esque kind of bike in the new style with this little like weird humpback box on it, but you can also just replace it with a flat panel or a seat if you don't like the look. Um, some glove boxes, take out some features. Don't make the the suspension like crazy adjustable on the fly, like all the other stuff and everything. Don't offer it in a DCT. Just make it real simple, and and you know, don't put in the CarPlay and the speakers and all that. And sell it for like instead of twenty five grand, just try to get it down to like seventeen, and they would sell a fucking shitload of them because they sold all the six speed gold wings and they sold all the six speed gold wing tourings. And now all you can get is the DCTs and they've stopped building more gold wings because they're like, we need to unload these DCTs before we go further. It's the GL 500 problem that they had in the early eighties, right? They've made the same fucking mistake 40 years later Uh, honda hire us we see this shit coming okay Uh, uh, it uh, i love gold wings i love the platform i love how like what a brilliant idea they were and are and continue to be um but I, this is this is a hole you can legitimately punch in the Goldwing thing because no one can afford them anymore. Why are the the GLs eighteen hundred like early models so expensive? The answer is easy because the new ones are so fucking expensive. Yeah, a, a, a two thousand and six GL eighteen hundred would go for no money. If it wasn't for the fact that a new Goldwing is over $30,000 by the time you add all the options you actually want. So it's like, oh, should this be worth $11,000? No. But are you going to go pay thirty? Then fuck off. Give me $11,000 for my old Goldwing. Yeah. And why are they worth that much? Because they're all DCT models that cost Honda that much to make. And they made versions of it that people don't want. And they, uh, I don't know. I. It's weird because Honda tried to get all these people to buy gold wings, but then they sold the monkey bikes instead. They, they cut everyone's yeah. budget for a gold wing down by four and a half thousand dollars by selling them with a monkey bike and a bunch of add-on extras to it. So... I don't know. The, but the GL500, the 650 is not as bad. It's still not great. I still have issues with the 650 as well. But the the 500 was a huge misstep. There was no love for these. These are motorcycles that are really worth fuck all. No one sees the point. 
no one gets it. They're like, oh, I'll look just as dorky as a Goldwing without any of the cool Goldwing stuff. Like, oh, this is a this is an actual fuel tank. Not, you know, like, oh, this doesn't have the low center of gravity that a Goldwing has, or at least not as much. Oh, this doesn't have the comfort of a Goldwing. Oh, this doesn't keep my feet warm like a Goldwing. Oh, I can't take the wife with me. Oh, I can only take 60 pounds worth of stuff maximum. Oh, the suspension's not very good. Oh, it does a quarter mile in 15 fucking seconds. This was sold alongside the CX-500 Turbo, okay? Who is buying this instead of the CX-500 Turbo, right? I... The CX-500 Turbo had years of looking a little odd to the eye, but has aged really nicely and is now quite a nice collector's bike. Is the GL500 Interstate anywhere near collectible? Is it? No. And this was more expensive. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I, I don't... It, it was a big misstep, and it's worst bike in the world this week. I could keep talking, but we should move on to a different topic. Do do we want to do emails, or do we want to do some news stories? Let's do some news stories. Okay. All right. So, uh, let's talk about something cool from Honda, because I'm a Honda guy, and I don't like to talk that much trash about them, because we need Honda. Honda makes mistakes for the rest of us, right? You know, Honda Honda walked in a lot of things so other people could run. But not only that, Honda walked and then started running before other people as well yeah. and things. Honda tried it so you didn't have to. So Honda has released, at least in Europe, and I think it's coming to the United States... Uh, well, it's definitely hitting the UK. Um, it is not their first electric scooter, as a lot of people claim. This is like their fourth or fifth electric scooter, to my knowledge. Uh, like, just so everyone knows, Honda has an electric scooter available, legal for purchase in the United States. It's the Canopy Gyro E. It's $7,000, so no one's going to buy it. But, I mean, if you can write it off as a business expense and deliver pizzas with it or something, it's probably worth that money. Anyway, and besides the Honda Benley, which is an a, and the uh, the other Gyro X model, the, so Honda has this EM1 e-scooter. And this is for sale in the UK now. And apparently, Honda, what's what's important about this is that this model of scooter 100% exists, has been sold in Japan and other parts of Asia for some time. And what's very significant about this scooter is that this uses a battery swap system. Oh, okay. These are the Honda swap. So these go in, these same batteries go in everything that's Honda electric right now. Honda has a universal battery system for their bikes. These are those cool batteries that look like the sort, like the, they glow blue, like the keys in doom. 
<laughs> it's great. It's it's very early two thousands video game. I always thought that everyone should have made their batteries look like the ooze canisters from Nin- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two. I know, big missed. What a missed opportunity. I know. Uh, yeah, I I would have settled also for the canisters of Nuke from RoboCop two. That would have been good. Yeah. Yeah, that's. <laughs> And if they could load in the same way, like uh, freaking, <laughs> uh, just oh the the claw on the conveyor belt. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, it's it'd be amazing. So anyway, this scooter um, is what realistic electronic transportation looks like. So this has got a range of twenty five to thirty ish miles. Um, it's got. 66 foot-pounds of torque. Uh, I don't know what the top speed is, but they say it does just under 30. It looks like around 30. I, I'd i really like to see that bumped up. I would sacrifice range on that to bump it up to 35. My gyro does 35. I don't know how many people besides me have the balls to ride it in traffic. I think it's a little bit more forgiving in like the UK or if you were like downtown, but there's definitely a lot of cities in the US where well, that's not good. This enough. is going to get up to 30 much faster than my gyro will with that 66 foot pound of torque. Mm-hmm. That is a big problem with the gyro is that if you get a perfect launch, it's fine. If you don't get a perfect launch, it. It is all of a sudden cars behind you are like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and it's a little weird. Uh, now, well, the great thing about the electric, though, is that like, it's so much easier to just take it on the sidewalk or across the park, you know, over the grass, anywhere you want, because you're practically invisible. Well, that's yeah. On the gyro, you're definitely not invisible. <laughs> but, <laughs> but also, people aren't really sure what category of vehicle you fit into. A lot of people think I work for the city when I'm riding <laughs> it around. <laughs> I can I can get away with a lot on the gyro, but yeah, the sixty six foot pounds gonna is good. I I. I'd like to see a sort of like extra battery option or something. I mean, again, 20 miles, if you're not leaving your city or town, is pretty fucking far. We live in a city of 120,000 people, and this city is five miles wide. Somewhere like that, yeah. Uh, you know, and and if this is twenty five to thirty miles of in town riding, I mean, that's that's a whole day of riding around on a scooter. Mm-hmm. That that's pretty good. I, I at twenty miles. So if they could bump this top speed up to like thirty five or something, uh, there's got to be some way to hack it, right? Uh, it depends, but yeah. 
Now, this is boring the shit out of a lot of our listeners, but trust me, something that will do the zero to 30 that this does and allow you to park on the sidewalk and all that, this is a lot more fun than you think it is. And, and, And it's somewhat subversive without being a one wheel. Yeah. You know, I, so anyway, um, this is, uh, um, yeah, 50 volt lithium ion battery removable. And again, we could get the power up because actually now that, now that you say that it's actually gonna be kind of hard to get the power up that much at 50 volts from 30 to 35, 50 volts is okay so my e-bike is 48 volts yeah like that's okay yeah all right all right but whatever point is um this whole thing is on the honda exchange uh battery exchange thing Mm -hmm. so if you live in japan or any number of big asian cities apparently these battery exchanges are getting pretty popular. What was the the one battery change Gogoro. system really? Huh? Oh, Gogoro. Yes. Yeah. So Gogoro and Honda, I, I think these are actually like the same batteries. Mm-hmm. I think Honda just kind of bought the Gogoro system, is what happened. I could. I'm probably wrong on that, but I I I, I want to say I remember something like that. Um. I guess, like, just plug them into the wall. It's like a six-hour charge or something or whatever. But again, this is all for low money. This isn't regular e-bike prices. This is like, you know, three and a half to $4,000, right? This is just what you would pay for a, a, a scooter. Mm-hmm. Now, a scooter that might be able to do a few miles per hour more, but you're living the electric dream. And this doesn't look weird either. So and it also unlike the vest the electric Vespa still has some storage under the seat even with the battery in it. It's pretty nice. Yeah, cuz that battery's not going to be that big. If it's 30 miles, so it's probably it's probably like half again or twice the size <clears throat> of like the e- of the battery that I have on my e-bike, but it's just going to be double the capacity. So it's it's right. gonna be this it's gonna be the same number of series. It's just gonna be more. Was it's gonna be it's gonna be the same number of batteries in series. It's gonna be more in parallel. So yeah, I mean, on a scooter chassis, that's not gonna be that big. It's gonna be about the size of that battery in the in the new. Um. Yeah, so you should totally get tons of storage in that, especially if you could get it under the footwell. Right. And again, I just want everyone to just look up this bike, look up the styling, look up the size, look up the price, and look up the range numbers. And this is what feasible electronic uh, electric transportation looks like. This is what long-term sustainable electric looks like. Get rid of all your other crazy dreams. This is what you can live with. Um, And I'm excited for it. I really am. Uh, Looking at the numbers of the electric gyro, I would have one. Um, 
looking at you know it's 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 not unlike this at all. I mean, it's the same bat. The electric dryer is the same battery as this. It's you know. Um, I mean, besides this, your only options for like truly practical, well, I say practical of like feasible electric motorcycle is basically either a a vetter um like a full vetter kit like a streamliner right or like a mono tracer yeah like, you're going to have to go all out with an enormous aero package to make it work that yeah. or scooters Yep. Okay, so let's be mean about something now. Uh, last week, or the week before that, whatever it was, we got pretty mean talking about the BMW R18T, or whatever it was. The big whatever. Oh, the touring. Yeah. Uh, Let me bring this up on the screen for you because this is you weren't into the soul fuel oh so we were trying to come up with a better uh, a better slogan than oh, soul fuel yeah and um uh right after we stopped recording i hit remember i hit the name tour technic yeah that's the bmw hashtag that they need for for the big bike Tour Technic. That's it's a. I was saying tour like touring engineer, but it was too long and clumsy. But with just that little alliteration and changing touring to tour, just Tour Technic. Now, is this going to win every any advertising awards? No, but it's fucking better than Soul Fuel. It makes sense for starters. It it, it like it, anyway. Okay, so. BMW is going to release a stripped-down version of the BMW R18. Well, don't they already have that? Isn't that just the BMW R18? Just the regular one? Yeah. Um, um, I don't know. So anyway, there's another BMW R18. And speaking of us being able to do better than BMW in the naming department, tell the people what this is called. This was just announced today. Uh, this is it's so bad people are gonna think we're making this shit up so this is the bmw r18 roctane yeah get closer on your microphone pull it folds towards you've been quiet this whole episode there we go okay yes that's how you need sound Okay, so the the BMD, this is supposedly going to be on sale this fucking year. There's already a BMW R18. Why can't this just be the new R18, for starters? Or why wasn't this the BMW R18? Except this isn't even the BMW R18. This is a cartoon of what the BMW R18 is going to be. They can't even give us an actual picture of it. So they say it's like a performance cruiser. So I guess this is maybe the R18 with updated styling and a more powerful motor, but it's already a 1.8 liter. Like what, what performance are the other ones lacking? 
Well, what... Is there anything in here, like, about them, like, shortening the stroke or anything and, like, upping the power? Or... No, it's just this. It's just this cartoon picture of the of this bike and its stupid name. <laughs> it's not even entirely... We don't even have a good idea of what it looks like in some sort of 3D space. I can't... I can't tell. We, we're given a cartoon picture of this bike and the name... Roctane. I'm so angry. I'm so angry that <sighs> I mean it, it, I think I think what this is going to end up being is a um the cheapest version, right? It's got the black it's got the blacked out engine. It's got um how many different like variants of bodywork has BMW like put on this bike and then just thrown in the trash? Because they can't sell these. Because as much as everyone thought this was going to be the coolest thing ever, and nobody could shut the fuck up about it when it was a concept bike, it turns out nobody actually wants well, an BMW air didn't even make the concept bike. Some custom shop made that one bike that everyone lost their shit over. And then when BMW didn't make it, everyone was mad. Like, why couldn't they have just put out the one that they made? Well, BMW never even made that one. It... So everything about this bike, like this whole write-up that is like with it, is just talking about the bare minimum like specs of the BMWs that already exist. The Roctane, this is just going to be the budget R18. As far as I can tell, I'm surprised it has side bags. Uh, did the R18 Classic come standard with side bags? Maybe that's what this has got. Um, I don't. But it's not a bagger because it doesn't have a windshield or a front fairing. Uh, I guess they had to put bags on it so people thought it was a different model somehow. But it's not good. It's the fact that there's not a picture of it is really suspicious. Look at this. There's pictures here of the of the engine and their cartoons as well. This motor actually exists. There's not even anything changed about the motor yes, that we the can motor. tell. So <laughs> the why motor not give us a picture exists. of the motor that already fucking exists? What is this? We're given co like 2D concept pictures of a bike whose motor and frame already exists. Are they trying to trick us into thinking that they're not going to release it? Uh, what... At least insult us with a 3D render. The Delmar that Harley Davidson didn't make at least existed in some 
corporeal four. The Harley says now they are going to release it this year. Okay. I can only imagine they were ashamed and embarrassed by our episode about it. (laughs) I can only assume. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, the, so yeah, the, 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 uh, another R18, a bike that nobody wants or is buying will be available in another version that BMW is praying that you'll buy maybe. And in the meantime, you can look at cartoon pictures of it. Moving on. How hard was it to take parts off of an existing R18 and powder coat the engine black? I, yeah, that. That doesn't seem like a lot of work. I know. It's lowest effort possible. Okay. So, um, apparently sometime in the next five weeks, five to six weeks, Triumph, uh, apparently uh, Bajaj out of India, the Bajaj CEO, leaked that pretty soon um, Triumph is going to launch a line of single-cylinder bikes. They're presumed to be anywhere from 250 to 500 cc's. Okay. The Some notable names that people have spied being uh, copyrighted are the Street Single. Makes a lot of sense. Are they going to bring the Tigress name back? A lot of people were thinking, um, no, not the Tigress, although I would love the Tigress name to be brought back. Uh, Daytona 250 intrigues me. Okay. Uh, and there was one other one, too. Um, so the Tiger Cub someone threw around, but then um, uh, an older member of the Cycle World Factory, uh, fa- a faculty, brought up the fact that Honda has reserved the name Cub for motorcycles in almost every existing market in the world. So that's unlikely. But Daytona 250 kind of intrigues me a little bit. Um, So these are going to be Bajaj bikes. There are spy photos of them, and they're basically Triumph, like half air-cooled, half liquid-cooled. So they're oil and – or liquid and – air-cooled motors, which makes sense. Careless fluid, less weight, whatever. Um, they're, t- they're supposedly um, double overhead cam. They certainly do look like that from the spy photo. These spy photos are just this new Triumph small motor with Bajaj bodywork. Can you put them up on the screen? Oh, that would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is totally just uh, Bajaj bodywork with what's clearly better suspension. There's some uh, – we've got some inverted forks. They look uh, 40 millimeter-ish, 38, somewhere in there, inverted forks. We've got definitely not Bajaj wheels. We've got uh, LED lights, but that is straight up like Bajaj seat, tank, grab rails, gas tank. Um, looks like what's probably a modern, not Bajaj, um, exhaust. Yeah. You know, so whatever Triumph does on the styling for this, I'm excited to see this, this bike will look 
like instantly like two thousand dollars more expensive just going through the Hinkley Triumph uh paint department. What I'm curious is is all of a sudden are the Honda CB three hundreds and CB five hundreds gonna start looking a lot better? Mm. Because well, let's think about this. If we're talking about bang for buck horsepower in these small displacements, we started this by talking about how the best bike in the world this week is a 20 horsepower single from India. We're now talking about Triumph singles from India. We're talking about a performance and price point that Honda's already damn close to. And we know the Hondas are rock solid. Say what you want about them not being super powerful. The Honda 300s and 500 twins, kind of unbeatable in their class for reliability, not having a lot of recalls or problems, customer satisfaction. I mean, you know, Honda sold a lot of Rebels. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not selling a lot of CBR 300s, but they're selling a lot of Rebels. And is the is just the CB line going to start looking like it makes a lot more sense? Everyone going to be like, oh, Honda has been at this game for a while now. Uh, I'm wondering. I mean, I'm excited at the idea of a street single. I'm excited at the idea of all kinds of different things that Triumph can do in this market. It's a, it's, it's a great brand. It's a great name. Um, they've been doing a lot of business in India. A lot of their bikes are already made in India. I'm not worried about them being made in India as far as the quality goes. Uh, I trust the company. I think these will be really cool bikes. It seemed like we were doing a hard reset back to these small bikes like in 2018, but somehow like the time continuum got all fucked up with recessions, COVID, inflation, whatever, job market changing. And it's like, oh, everybody, it's 2018 again as far as motorcycle culture goes. Reset Mm. again, small bikes again. Right? Oh, yeah. I know, like, adventure bikes got, like, really stupid big for the last couple of years. But, like, oh, small bikes again. Right? Um, so, it's just a little bit interesting. I, um, you know, uh, Triumph had a bunch of these bikes back in the day. Hinkley Triumph is not the same thing. But, you know, uh you know, something around that 250 to 400 cc thing, supposedly in a month, or uh, sorry, June 27th is supposedly the launch, but that was, that was, um, leaked by someone at, at Bajaj. So we haven't actually officially heard word from this from Triumph yet, but it's likely I mean, why wouldn't they be doing this if they've already paid Bajaj to build this stuff for them, right? I mean, presumably they're Bajaj bikes and motors just dressed up and Triumph styled, but that doesn't scare me. You know, I I trust Bajaj to make a vehicle, a motorcycle that will do 200,000 miles. 
uh, you know, I, I don't doubt their build quality. Um, yeah, let's move on. So speaking of bike launches, uh, another story, very, very recent. Kawasaki on June 6th, so this is in, what, two to three weeks, to reveal 16 models. I think only one of these is going to be a new bike, and that's the Eliminator 450. A lot of people have talked about this. There's already an Eliminator 400 in Japan. If no one remembers, the Eliminator was the weirdest power cruiser of the 80s. Oh, is this the the 600cc inline four? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was like it was like a um, it was a it was basically a katana motor in like like a Honda Magna style body. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. I love it. Oh, with super the four cool. Into one, yeah. with the four into one exhaust. Yeah, it was yeah. super cool bike. Super cool bike, but <laughs> weird. Um, so I guess there's like a two-cylinder eliminator in Japan already. So they're going to bump it up. They're going to bore it out like another 20 cc's or some shit and call it an eliminator 450. I guess the ZX6R is getting a makeover. I guess everything's getting a makeover. And Honda's doing a weird summer thing now the eliminator 450 uh, a lot of our listeners are already going to know about this and seen pictures but let's just kind of take a look it's not a bad looking bike um it's fine i so it's, we're kind of in vulcan s territory a little bit yeah but very stripped down vulcan s kind of look it's not mm. I don't know. I think I'd rather have a Vulcan S than this, but I mean, this is fine. Um, uh, people, there's, I, I, I can see who's going to want this. It's, it's a little UJM. It's a little cruiser. It's a little bit of a lot of different things. Um, yeah, it looks a little unfinished also. Plenty of people have talked about this. Some people are going to love it and they're going to want it. Some people are going to ignore it. Um, it's going to depend on the price point. We don't know. Um, it does not have a TFT. You'll like that. It's an old school LCD swigs. Look at that. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> it's kind of like the Sportster readout, but with a little bit more information. Actually, kind of, yeah. Which I'm okay with. And the rest, okay, new KLX 300, all right. New KX 450, all right. New, um, I don't know, what else? Uh, some people are really hoping we'll get the electric Z and an electric Ninja. And I'm like, fuck off. Even if they made it, you wouldn't want it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how you would possibly release those bikes without doing a whole separate event and with like at least a 20 minute like presentation explaining why what you did is really cool oh like, the, there'll be a new um z650 rs that'll have the same electronics as the the versus z and ninja 650 have now um mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, the rest of the models of these 16, 
um, people are speculating are going to be like side by sides and whatever. So this is kind of much to do about nothing. It's basically just Kawasaki trying to make a bigger deal in the middle of the summer sales season that they've got a bunch of new models, but really they've just got the Eliminator 450. And they're padding the numbers with just minor updates to already existing models. I mean, what's really going to be new on the KX450? Bold new graphics? I mean, yeah. Is there anything, like, new in 450s or 250s at this point? Is there any, has there been anything kind of new besides like? Well, if it's a Honda RL model, it's an even shorter maintenance period. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's an even shorter maintenance period on a road legal bike. We took another six ounces of oil out of the engine, right? Out of the sub, <laughs> and we passed the maintenance on to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay. Um, I think I may have had a couple more stories. What else did I find on here that was worth talking about? Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, do you want to bring up the uh, the emails and we'll we'll get into some of that? Yeah. I can filibuster some time if you really need. But um, a little fun fact. I was complaining about seat heights. I just looked up what the seat height is on the TU250 Suzuki, and it was 31 inches. That's not a tall seat. You're right. 31 inches is fine for a low seat height. I'll concede that point. Um, let's see here. What else did I look at? What else kind of vaguely struck me? Um, oh, uh, Helite is making... Uh, airbag jeans now. Okay. They cost just as much as the Helite vest. I don't know how many people are going to be interested in $700 inflatable jeans, <laughs> but I like that they're making them. You know, someone's got to do it. Someone's going to want them. It's the same uh, uh, buckle harness system as the Helite vest. For listeners who don't know, uh, the Helite vest, uh, Ryan F9 did a great video on it. Uh, it's a motorcycle airbag vest. You just put this vest on. It kind of looks like a flight vest, like a, like a pilot would wear. And you harness, you just clip yourself to the frame of your bike. And if you get thrown off at more than 70 pounds of force, it inflates faster than you can blink your eyes. And you'd be like, well, yeah, but like they make like compute, it's faster than the MotoGP computer systems. Also, you don't have to charge it or remember it. You just, you're clipped in or you're not. It's kind of foolproof. It's worth your time. I, I wear one. I also got one for free for reviewing it, but I do, I do honestly believe that they're a worthwhile thing, but now they're airbag jeans. If you, if you want to go that way. All right, you got the emails brought up? I do. All right. All Pass right. me a beer and hit me with an email. All right. There you go. Okay, so this is from Eric. <clears throat> it's a little bit long of a long one, but this is from 
uh, about three weeks ago. Uh, and so this is in response to what we were talking about perception of speed. No. And he says, disclaimer, this will get long and technical, so read on air at your own risk. Well, we're a little short on this Challenge episode, accepted. So we, uh, we welcome it. It's already been an hour and 20 minutes. With oh, us. has it? Yeah. Okay. All right. Anyways, says, I had a lot to say about the silver wing. That's true. Uh, he said, I totally agree with your uh, recent segment on speed being a perception, uh, being uh, a perception and it throwing you off after a long snow on the highway, and it's never talked about in motorcycling. My bachelor degree is in engineering psychology, and my favorite class was aviation psychology. Look, the experts agree with us. <laughs> the gist of it is that people were never meant to fly, or for that matter, go AD on an interstate. So in our brains, so our brains do their best to compensate, which could be an issue. For example, the hardest thing to overcome in aviation is pure instrument conditions where you can't see anything outside and therefore have no clue aside from your vestibular system. Your inner ear has little hairs in a liquid and acceleration creates a sort of current of that liquid, which moves the hair. And that's how we perceive, perceive things like acceleration or rotation on an axis. Eventually, however, the current stops in our brain. Gets Hold on. That sounds like something between a carburetor and an EMU. You mean an IMU? IMU. An EMU is a big ratite. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Your inner ear is like a really shitty IMU. Yeah. Um, but it's got things like your eyes to help you out. And, you know, you can feel things. And it's got all these other clues. But, yeah, essentially. Anyway. He says, eventually, however, the current stops and our brain gets tricked into thinking we are in a non- moving state because again we aren't just we just aren't equipped to comprehend this kind of speed imagine you were turning a plane for two minutes straight if it was clear air and you could see the horizon you'll have no problem realizing you're turning and when to stop however if you can't see outside your brain thinks this turn is the new straight and if you stop the turn your brain says wait i'm turning the opposite way now this comes this uh comes because we can't rely on other senses in this case due to no input it's also why you can't fly through clouds. That's exactly what he's talking about. I know. Um, also, interestingly, this is why if this is um, there's somewhat of a f similar phenomenon. There's another element to it, but um, this is also why if you just completely blindfold somebody and tell them to walk in a straight line, they'll end up walking in a circle. Oh, really? Well, there's another part of error, and there's a bit more study to it. But yeah. If you blindfold somebody, you can't. They can't walk in a straight line. I mean, probably a large circle, but I believe it. Uh, through studies, some people walk in like a twenty meter radius or twenty meter diameter, like circle. Sixty feet. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and they perceive that they're going completely straight. Yeah. Well, everyone's got one leg that's slightly shorter and this and that. No, and no, Uneven no. ground, and you'll just start walking one They've, way. You get influenced one way, and you keep doing it. Like you said, when you have no extra input, yeah. you think that's the new straight, and then that effect happens again to you, so it keeps getting made more extreme every, like, five feet you walk. I believe that. You pro It probably goes off, like, logarithmic. Like, you start, but then it starts compounding on itself. Maybe not quite logarithmic, but you know what I mean. 
Yeah. Anyway, so this, is, uh, this is the same if you did a long highway stint on a motorcycle versus a car, especially a non-touring bike. Not only has your vestibular system recognized the speed as a new stasis, but you feel the wind, the bumps, hear the engine and wind, and see the road and objects pass by. When you stop, your inner ear senses the deceleration is thrown off, and you no longer have those sensations of going fast, which causes a disconnect to the sensory systems and causes a sort of spatial, distor- uh, spatial disorientation. This is like this is less likely to happen in a car because it is like turning a plane in the day. One of the senses, your inner, has changed, but the others haven't since you don't hear the wind. The sight of things moving along the windshield uh, is similar regardless of speed. In this case, you can rely on the other senses to overcome the weird input from your inner ear. But on a bike, every sense is trying to grasp what just happened. So I definitely say there is a need to re-cage your senses after a long time of high speed. If nothing else, just stop and lift your visor to let your brain realize what's happened before you throw traffic conditions at it. So yeah, it sounds like an expert has weighed in, and my idea of, okay, you get off the interstate, maybe do a circle of the Sam's Club parking lot off the exit is a pretty good idea. You can also just pull a wheelie. That'll, uh... That's a new context. Yeah. um, (laughs) I'm going to say that's a bad idea, even if you're good at wheelies. Uh, It gives you a better context of your speed, but I'll bet from just traveling at 80, you don't have a great idea of your clutch and braking sense like you would have from just riding like surface streets. Yeah. Wheelies are all about sensitive feel. It's not about power. It's not about like being super brave. It's about super awesome clutch and throttle control and, and friction zone and, and sensing it, it, it's, it's a finesse move. I'll and tell you finesse thing- is what you don't have coming off the interstate. I'll tell you one thing that I end up doing like every time we get down to Austin and it's re- it feels really goofy and I feel like an idiot every time we get down there is we get off of we get on we get you know off the inter- off the the interstate back on like the state highway like and when we're really close to the track and like we take a left turn down onto like the county road Mm -hmm. and somehow i've like got into this weird state of mind where by the time i've pulled through the intersection i'm in fifth gear oh yeah when we get down to the last 20 miles when we get to austin we're both riding so badly you'd think we were both on like our learner's permits it, yeah, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> it's absolutely atrocious. And then we just get like more frustrated and we're tired and then we make wrong turns. Or we're not sure that we're going the right way. That makes us more frustrated. And we just pull moves that just don't make any logical sense. We're, we're killing the bikes at stop signs. It's, it's a fucking disaster. It, <laughs> it's. I like as soon as we pass that like beer bait and tackle gas station on the way in, like it's all bets are off 
on <laughs> how well, you know, it's terrible. Yeah. But yeah. All right. Uh, and we got another email from JR who sent us a YouTube. He's basically asked, bummer or no? And he's sent us a video of somebody saying that it is, in fact, actually true that the ZX4RR is heavily restricted in the U.S. and Canada. Well. But also, they're restric- I mean, it's going to be pretty easy to de-restrict, I imagine. The nice thing about the United States is that you never have to get your v- your motorcycle emissions tested. Once you buy it, you can do whatever the fuck you want to it. Well, that's true in Colorado. I don't think that's true in, like, California. Uh, no, the only thing you have to do in California, I think, is... You may have to do an emissions test in California, but just put the original exhaust back on and map it back to what it was. That's true, yeah. You can do it at home. That's true. But I believe flashing the ECU will void your warranty. People that do ECU flashes, I... Probably don't claim a lot of warranties. Probably aren't buying a lot of new bikes. Probably don't claim a lot of warranty. Yeah, I, I wouldn't... It's true, but I don't know. You shouldn't have to fuck with it at release to make it do what that motor was designed to do. Um, it's I agree. It's also very strange that... What Now, is this for the ZX4R or the ZX4RR? The RR. The RR is restricted? Yes. So apparently um, in the U.S., uh, this guy is saying that it is. um, Who is this guy? uh, Some asshole. I don't know. All right. Um, I know, but he's predictable. I guess. They've got um, apparently they've got actual dyno charts of a bike that they've done it on. So apparently the Canadian bike, it explicitly says on the website, it's limited to eleven and a half thousand RPM for. noise compliance okay that sounds very canadian but in the u.s it'll still apparently rev to like sixteen thousand rpm or whatever but it's electric they just cut the fueling down or something yeah they actually cut the fueling down so that the the um the actual power output goes down as you get over eleven thousand rpm which so you're just revving the bike and causing more piston wear for no return. Yes. So apparently all literally all you have to do in the US is flash the ECU. Yeah, there's no reason to own this bike then if you don't flash the ECU because I that Now who's <sighs> gonna, who's going to want to buy this bike second hand and then have to go flash the ECU and like pay premium rates to get it flashed unless there's well this is the new doohickey like it's a zx4r i've done the ecu flash you know yeah i don't know i i know a lot of people are saying like well who cares because like tuners are buying this bike anyway so who cares they're taking the track days and they're putting silly money into it to race in their niche you know 400 cc inline four racing club and it's like no if if you want to ride this bike really aggressively 
as they have it limited, even I will admit, you'll notice a little bit of lack of power. If it's cut down to like 60 horsepower, you're going to reach the end of that. You can reach the end of 60 horsepower in on the interstates, on some on on freeway pulls, not in town, but even in probably some canyon carving situations where you're going around a corner, you're pulling the clutch in, you're holding, you're trying to like hold revs through it. You know, you're doing the dirt bike thing of pull the clutch in instead of releasing, you know, in, in your, in it, it's, I mean, sorry, you would have to ride it like a dirt bike where you keep the revs in all the way and pull the clutch in and just burn your clutch like you would on a dirt bike. Uh, you'd have to ride it like a dirt bike to not notice a power loss in canyons. It's, it's, you're, no, you're going to have to flash this to make or, or, or this is a bummer. His email was bummer or no bummer. This is a bummer. This is a major bummer. Also, if they still have to cut the RPM, why have the three catalytic converters in a row? Cut those fucking things off while you're at it. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> that was like one of the reasons the thing was so expensive and heavy to begin with. If the three cats in a row... If the three cats in a row didn't do it, release the 400 that makes like 43 horsepower stock and let us reflash it with one catalytic converter on it. Don't make us pay for two catalytic converters that we're going to fucking cut off anyway when we fucking redo this exhaust. Yeah, take $1,500 off the price tag and so like... 50% more than you anticipated. This is just sunk to worst bike in the world next week. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, this this now makes no sense. This bike has three catalytic converters. For like for To what end? For like 60. To what end? Yeah. Okay. This is dumb. This is... This is a major bummer. This makes this now has gone. I know you're drinking swigs. Can you just stay in front of your microphone? Look, it's been. I'm out of practice. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, I don't know. I know we have some other emails. Some. It, it doesn't way. matter if we do or not. I I could go on about this for six more hours. I won't. But. Uh, I'm still just taking this in. What what a fucking disaster. Um, fuck. It's such a deep moment. I I haven't been this disappointed by Kawasaki. Here's, here's what hurts. It's Kawasaki. I would expect this kind of bullshit from BMW. Like I would expect this kind of bullshit from KTM. I, but Kawasaki, to is, me, is the performance brand. This is the brand that gave us the Z1RTC, that gave us the <laughs> ZX, you know, the 11R. Ninja. Yeah, the Ninja, the ZX14R, the H2R, the original H2. Like, 
how many bad ideas, how many Widowmakers has Kawasaki released? How many ridiculous machines? You know what the answer is? All the best ones. Yeah. Uh, And I'm not a Kawasaki guy, but I will be the first to tell you that I I understand Kawasaki guys. Because Kawasaki is one of the most balls-out companies that there is. They are they are balls to the walls. Like, hey, we don't have to do this. We do this because it's fucking awesome, and we're not gonna make boring bullshit. We're gonna make ridiculous bullshit. And and, and it's what they do well. I the I best sport bike of all time might be like any six three six right. Any 636 mm. Ninja might be the best sport bike of all time. Uh, I, I mean, I, I know for me, if it came down between an R6 and a 636, I'm going 636 every fucking time. Uh, I, the ZX10R, I, don't, I might go R1 versus the ZX10R, but that's splitting hairs. But again, for the, for two strokes, Kawasaki made the most insane two strokes. Uh, the Z1, you know, like we don't even like um, the the. Uh, Kawasaki goes all fucking in, right? And this goes into their dirt bikes too. Like people will tell you, like, oh yeah, like the the best, like most balanced, um, you, you know, four fifty supercross bike out there is the uh, the YZ four fifty. Well, what's the fastest four fifty? Oh, it's the KX four fifty. Everyone will fucking tell you, <laughs> you know, um. I mean, there might be a KTM that makes an extra, like, peak horsepower or something like that. But, like, you know, Kawasaki just makes the super aggressive, all-out performance crazy shit. And for this to be the truth about the Ninja 400, I feel betrayed. Yeah, it's not good. (sighs) Pass me a beer. I I need a. I don't know if there's enough PBR to drown this truth out. I've got to rethink my whole. What what governing body would have stopped Kawasaki from putting out a four hundred? That, like, with a big wink, wink to the customer that was like, hey, it's 45 horsepower. Wink, wink. You know? Right? Like, this barely meets Euro 5. It's 45 horsepower with the one catalytic converter. Wink, wink. Like, just map it with a new exhaust. Boom. You're up to 80 horsepower. I would straight up just have, like, a little compartment cover on the ECU that you unscrew, and there's just a loose... Printed directions. There's, there, no, there's just a loose wire that you yeah. plug in. And it's just straight up 20 more horsepower. <laughs> yeah, That's just- it. I wouldn't even do it like digitally. I would just like try to incorporate some sort of like weird, like, like 
like a Bally pinball, like early solid state era esque, like logic circuit. So like they couldn't even get you on it being like quote programmed, like you know pre programmed on the ECU. You attach this wire, and it just physically manipulates voltages that like somehow gets you this different <laughs> this different fuel mapping. <laughs> <laughs> it could end up being this thing of like well the airbox had enough space we could have had a frunk sorry it was taken up by a huge pcb board <laughs> ridiculous oh what if uh, now it's okay kawasaki hire us Next year, ZX4R, ZX4RR, one catalytic converter, one big stupid exhaust, 45 claimed horsepower. We're going to cut the price by $1,000. We're going to make it easy to switch the exhaust and remap. Straight what up. do you say? Come on, hire us. We'll help you do this. We can, we can make this happen. Just... Put a mini USB port, like not even micro, just go old school mini USB port directly into the ECU. We'll make an app. No, I want it to be more robust than mini USB. I want USB type A or type B. You want type B? The the weird printer one. Oh, the printer one. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the most reliable USB of all time. Tell me I'm wrong. It's true. I've never seen a fucked up one. Yeah, that's that's why I want that. And you know what? I'm willing to go to Micro Center and buy that cable to remap my ZX4RR. I'm willing to make that trip. <laughs> okay. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's bring back USB Type B as a standard. <laughs> For remapping motorcycle ECUs. This is getting really nerdy really fast. I know, I just think, yeah, no, I, I just just make it just obscenely easy to do. And, yeah. But also, put it somewhere that it's easy, that if you get into a crash, that you can easily switch it back. So that you can claim that you didn't modify your bike. well i think by making it usb type b uh you're already good enough because i feel like i could walk into a courtroom and and you know the judge is like so you you made this like easy option for people to to swap this to swap the mapping and i'd be like your honor do you own a usb type b cable and he'd be like, what is that? And I'd show it to him, and he'd be like, oh, fuck, no, I don't. I don't even have a printer anymore. And he'd be like, exactly. No one has this. The average person needs to Google things for three hours to figure out even where to buy this fucking cable anymore. Or you have to go. <laughs> you know what? For your own liability, just put it under, uh, put the compartment, like, under a uh, a security torx screw cap that's it it's yeah. usb type b 
under security torques. Your Honor, no consumer is realistically expected to access this. <laughs> there you go. All right, we're done. We got it. Yeah. Yeah, it's done. <laughs> it's done. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just for good measure, there'll be a little sticker that says, beware of the Puma. And and we're done. All right. Let's see. An hour and 48. Is there, is there any like weird little like things we've left out of recent episodes we just want to throw on here? Because like the the most like for like the last like four and a half weeks we've only given people like you know two week old content. Is it what we we've got some like very current news stories into this. We've got um, we you know here's what I want to talk about. Let's spend fifteen minutes on this, and then we'll be done. And I still want to hear next week emails on people's. On on their take on the motorcycle cannonball record, right? Mm-hmm. We teased this last week. Uh, well, we, we teased it on an episode. We haven't allowed enough day. Like I released those episodes like two days ago or some shit. Um, so we've not had enough time for people to email in with their setups for the motorcycle cannonball. So here it is, hypothetical. I think this is going to be a new question we ask every person who's on the show from now on. It's going to be one of those ones like, what was your first bike? What's your current bike? Are you a different person when, you, or when you're on your motorcycle? What's your motorcycle cannonball setup? Right? <laughs> yeah. the, right? I, I think this could be one of those questions. So I've done some thinking about this. Uh, Swig, just off the top of your head, let's just go just first off. Okay, motorcycle cannonball. You need to average nine. It's like ninety miles an hour for like thirty-two hours or something like that. Thirty-four hours to beat the record, right? Which I mean, it. I think it's like training for a marathon, right? I can ride twenty-four hours. I can ride thirty-two or thirty-four, right? You know, um. The question is, what's your bike? Now, I would immediately say my Goldwing, except it won't do those speeds, right? So for me, what bike will do those speeds? I think realistically, if I'm going to do it, I need not the current GL1800 Goldwing. I think I want like a 2012 GL Goldwing 12, uh, 1800. And I say that range because it's got enough of the upgrades. It's got enough of the modern features, but the cost is going to be very much lower <laughs> than a new Goldwing. I'm going to save 10 grand, but I'm still going to have all the benefits of the speed, all the stability, the good suspension. The bike's not going to be totally fucked out, but I'll get it for a song, right? This isn't a pie in the sky situation because when you're talking about a coast to coast record, we're crunching numbers. Numbers matter. Right. And I think 2012 is the year where reliability, speed, comfort, the seat not being too old, the suspension not being too old crosses with cost. I can afford it. If I had to gun to my head, do the cross country iron butt 
like next week, I'm looking for a 2012 Goldwing 1800. What's your bike? I'm going to tell you exactly what my bike is. It's the perfect bike for this. Okay. <clears throat> Honda ST1300. It's a good choice. And we're going to go a little bit more extreme. We're going to put a lowering link on it. We're going to try and get those forks a little bit down. Just take an inch off the height. And we're going to add more fuel to it. Because Honda ST1300. ST <sighs> Here's my only issue. 7.7 gallon fuel capacity. That's good. But I got a, I got a question for you. Remember the CTX was a big letdown on the horsepower? What is actually our horsepower on an ST1300? 117. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Okay. 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 What's our miles per gallon? That I am not as sure. That's about. not going to be such a huge issue because. Uh, all right. Okay. We'll we'll get to this net. We'll get to that in a little bit, actually. Um. So okay, the uh, ST is a good choice. ST is a good choice. I think the Goldwing's a little bit better. I think I got some more options on. So the uh, combined average is thirty-seven, but I'm going to guess we're going to get like twenty-three, twenty-eight, <laughs> twenty-five, twenty-six. Um, okay, yeah. but that's that's not going to be huge. Okay, okay. Second thing. Uh, that's why you gotta lower it and you're probably gonna actually try and get everything in line you're gonna take the the pan you're gonna take the the panniers off and you're gonna try and get even more fuel on the bike in line that's also why i'm gonna lower the bike a little bit we're gonna we're gonna do some other things we're gonna talk about modifications at the end of this don't so you you want to go honda st 1300 i'm going the previous generation gl 1800 uh, I think these are two strong choices. I can't tell you you're wrong for the ST100. I think the Goldwing for just the pure hours is going to be a little more comfy. I think you're going to get a little tired of that sport riding position. But, you know, I also can't tell you you're wrong because currently the record is held by an FJ1300, not a dissimilar bike. Oh, you mean the FJR? Sorry, FJR. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, all right, all right. There's okay. Uh, both bikes are invisible to police. That's a big plus. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so what time are you leaving? Mm. This is a this is something that people don't think about, but you and I know from doing iron butt rides. What time of day you leave has a big impact on your ride. Are you front loading dark? Uh, you're gonna go through like uh, this is this is you've got to do it in 34 hours to beat the record. I think the current record's like 35 and a half or something, right? So you got to plan for like 30 something hours. So well, you can split. You're going through some dark and a half. You can split. I think what you do is I think you leave at. I think you leave at 7 p.m. Okay. Your goal is to catch the, is to split out of town, catch the end of rush hour, because during rush hour, 
cops really try not to pull people over because pulling people over slows down traffic during rush hour, which is a fucking nightmare. So you take advantage of the fact that there's traffic, but you can split. The cops don't want to pull you over. And they want to disappear. Well, what what time are you getting into L.A. then? So let's so you're leaving New York at 7 p.m. If let's say it's 34 hours, let's say 32 hours later, you're hitting L.A. and it takes you two hours to get through L.A. What time are you hitting L.A.? So be plus eight. So 7 p.m. plus five would be midnight. So you'd be getting into L.A. at 3 a.m. Oh, that's good. Okay, all right. I like the strategy. I would change it a little bit. I would leave pure rush hour and lane split. No fucking no no way. I don't give a shit. If it like just I I'll bet the current cannonball motorcycle record was set without lane splitting. I'm gonna leave at five. I'm gonna get the extra hours of daylight riding. Fuck it. I'm going to leave it four. I'm going to get the extra hours of daylight running. Uh, I'm going to deal with the the traffic, but I'm going to lane split like fuck out of New York. No cops able to pull me over lane splitting in New York. The, the, it's just not possible. There's not even a shoulder through the city for them to try to follow me on. It's literally impossible to get stopped lane splitting in a city like that. I'm going to lane split, get the extra couple hours of daylight riding, which is going to be better for my spirits, get into L.A. at 1 a.m. That's my strategy. But your reasoning is very solid. It may be slightly faster for you leaving at 7, dealing with a little less traffic. I still think having the extra hours of daylight is going to make it up overall better. I think it's going to be easier to maintain the higher speeds in the daylight and all of that. Mm -hmm. Because you're going to go a little bit slower at night. You just are. That's true, yeah. Hmm. Well, I guess what, what time would get you there at, like, sunset? So if you were to get there at like let's say like nine o'clock in the middle of Ju- in the middle of July, uh, go back eight hours, so you could you could leave at like one p.m. from New York. Well, I guess again, if you can't get pulled over, there's other things in between this too that we haven't considered. Like, what other major cities are you going into or having to circle around at various other times through the day? That's true. I still like just for the for the I I like my five p.m. New York leave or four p.m. New York leave, roughly one a one a.m. LA arrive. I, I just, just, you know, there's going to be a big balance of other things in between there. But I, I, we don't need to dwell on it too much for now. We can get into this in, in like future episodes because I'm kind of obsessed with this idea of the motorcycle cannonball. Fun fact uh, the cannonball is named after the first person who set the record, which was on a fucking motorcycle. 
So in a way, the legit Cannonball record is a motorcycle record. And it's the record that's been broken the least amount of times, which means it's the most attainable time. I also think it's just the coolest way to get across the country. I think the idea of a team of people driving in a car versus just one dude on a bike, the that's way more badass. Just one dude on a bike versus like three dudes in a car. Uh, I think most of the cannonball records for the cars are, it's all one person. No, no, no. Just the car has to make it. They've had people doing it in vans, pretending to, like, carry, like, like fake governor's wives who would get, like, altitude sickness and, like, and, and, like with all kinds of weird stories for the cops. There's, there's been people that have, like, driven their cars into airplanes and then driven across the – flown across the country and then landed and driven – there's, there's been all kinds of dumb shenanigans. Uh, it is it is just the vehicle gets from one side of the con- – the car gets from one side of the country to the other. And – however many drivers or whatever involved is whatever people have hired like fucking indie car drivers like two indie car drivers at a time to do this shit it's fucking all over the place now it's just the car from one side of the country to the other but on a bike now if you had a gold wing you could have two riders <laughs> it's a lot of trust oh. it is a lot of trust but you know, Claire's fallen asleep on the back of the Goldwing. <laughs> at 110? I don't know about 110, but <laughs> Claire's fallen asleep on the back of the Goldwing through canyon riding. I, you know, I, uh, you can get some rest back there. I'm dying. <laughs> On a GL1800 with those, like, movable foot platforms for the passenger, like... Well, here's the other crazy thing. You don't have to be doing 110. You could be doing, like... I think if you took a Goldwing and... Okay, well, we're going to get into mods in a minute. Okay, sec- um, second... How you okay? Let's get into not full mods. How are you going to minimize stops? Okay, because to I have calculated that to beat the motorcycle cannonball, you need to do somewhere around an average speed of like ninety two, even when stopped. So you really only need to be doing like ninety ninety five something. For extended periods of time. That's not that crazy. Mm. There's periods where you can be doing 100. There's periods where you can slow down to 80. Because we all know you can go through Kansas and Colorado and whatever at 80 and just never get pulled over. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, if you're not going over 90, you're not really getting pulled over on... Yeah, 85, whatever. So you just need to have enough, like, radar equipment to know when to slow down from 95 to 85 and be able to do that for 34 hours. That's really it. In fact, I want to say it's not even 34 hours. Let me Google this again. 
Motorcycle Cannonball Record. Um. Oh shit! It's almost thirty-nine hours. Is the current? Okay. So I I and um average speed seventy-two point eight eight. I feel like this would be massively improved just by having more windshield. Oh, and this, so this is actually very, very recent. This is since the, whatchamacallit. I thought it was set during COVID. That was the car one. This is reset on a K1600 um, BMW very, very recently. I I think I could beat this. I really think I could do this in like 36 hours. It seems very attainable. Yeah. I really, really fucking think I could do. Oh, this is different. This is why this is different than the one I looked before. This isn't using the car cannonball start and finish point. Um, hold on just one second here. So it, it appears that there's a couple competing records with different bikes because of like starting and ending places. But in general, somewhere around 37 hours or a little bit less will get you the undisputed record. All right. So we've talked about the bikes. I mean, obviously, we're, I, I think the, a lot of people are going to say, well, why wouldn't you just do it like an H2R? It, you can't sustain those miles on a bike like that. I mean, look at how out of breath Fabio Quadraro is after 45 minutes on a MotoGP bike. I And he might be the most in-shape dude in the world, right? It's It'll just destroy you. It'll yeah. destroy you. I think more wins. You need a bike that rides itself like a Goldwing. Yeah. You get pretty close with the the V4. You get a little bit of a lower center of gravity. I agree. It's a good choice. I think a um, what's the the Kawasaki one that's based on the ZX14 motor? Oh, the Concourse. The Concourse is a strong choice. It's I might a tall go Con. Bike, though. What does that matter if you're barely ever getting off it? Uh oh, just fuel efficiency because you're gonna want to limit your stops. So, okay, let's Actually, get the into one thing bike the mods. Will have... This is a great time to get into bike mods. Oh, this is, uh, oh, so this is actually something that uh, the ZX-14R would have over the ST-1300 is I don't think you can get any kind of aftermarket cruise control for the ST-1300. Ooh. I think cruise yeah. control is actually probably a it's critical feature. It's going to be a feature. good one. Yeah. Just to actually... Not just as like I want to say on the FJR thirteen hundred article that I wrote, he had some sort of cruise control installed on the bike. You're you're definitely going to want cruise control. Well, for two reasons. One is you want to maintain a high speed. While you want to maintain a constant speed for better fuel efficiency. Yes. Now I think something reserve power for constant speed. Yeah. Now the the second thing I'm going to do 
is I'm going to make the bike keyless. And not like keyless like a key fob. Push start. I mean literally like take the get rid of the key as a feature and more importantly take the um no uh keyless uh fuel tank access. So uh bike mods that I'm gonna do another great reason to take a gold wing I'm gonna make both side bags i'm gonna put a remote fuel pump in them and i'm gonna make them both extra fuel tanks i'm going like 500 miles between stops the other thing i'm gonna do is the top box is um the top box is going to be it's going to have a um I like your idea. You mentioned something about this a few days ago, the the Formula One um, liquid and food mixture. Yes. All your hydration and food needs in, like, just, like, four liters of... But I don't even want it in a Camelback. I want it off of me. I just want a feed tube from the top box. And I will probably, in, like the week or two weeks leading up to it start doing things like going increasingly longer fasting periods and getting my body into just burning fat reserves and things. Oh, I think you probably and, until be. I reach like optimal states. And then when I'm on the bike, I'll start like, I'll, I'll like not eaten for like, like 20 hours or something. So like for 36 hours, I can realistically not take a shit. But if I need to pee, I'm just going to have a catheter like down my leg. And it's just going to like, I'm just going to pee onto the road. Oh, I think you run it. Um, Yeah. You run it like down the side of the bike. Like you never get off the bike and you just like, Run it out your pants. No, I don't care if I need to pee in a parking lot. I'm just going to pee out my pant leg whenever I need to pee. Oh, I was thinking, like, you just run it, like, straight down, like, normally where, like, your fuel tank overflow goes. Yeah. Like, behind the swing arm. I thought about that, too. But then, like, you can't get off the bike. Because while the bike's refueling, it's going to be nice just to do a couple jumping jacks. So I'm saying get, like, the condom catheter... But you, like, tie the catheter to, like, the ankle of your boots. Oh, just tape it, like, to the, yeah. Yeah, to the inside So you're just, your you're going down your pant leg, but you're not, like, wetting yourself. But you're you're peeing on the ground. It's the same thing, essentially. You're peeing on the road. But. Okay, yeah. That's, that's solid. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've put a lot of thought into this. I'm going to get one of those, those lawnmower batteries, put that in the top box, too. So my phone... And my Senna are charged for like a week. Well, you can just run it off the stator. You don't. Again, then you can't get off the bike as easy. Um, I want it just like this one plug solution. So my phone is just connected to it nonstop. And all I need to do is is get is. If you're doing the cannonball run, like I would just straight up just carry two Cenas. And just swap them out. That's not a bad idea, also. 
It's a lot less um, weight. Uh, yeah, I mean, you still need your phone for all of this stuff as well. well your because phone, Your phone can be on the bike and charging the whole time. That's true. Okay. Fair, fair enough. Well, weight's not going to be an issue. Because we're not doing a lot of accelerating. We're doing a lot of getting to a top speed and maintaining it and then slowing down at strategic times. Obviously, there's going to be all like the radar jammers and radar sensors that you would get as, you know, whatever. A big thing that I would look for is I would try to make a schedule, of especially people that I haven't talked to for a long time, to call me up at scheduled times along the ride. And I will specifically tell them that like every like nine minutes, they have to say, Hey, why don't you like make sure you're paying attention to the road too? You know, little things like that. Uh, now here's, here's a question, but like, what, what if you just like made a list of people that like you haven't talked to since like eighth grade that you're dying to catch up with. And you were like, Hey, I'm going for the cannonball run. Give me a call at this hour, right? I I don't think I would get tired or lose attention if that was like a whole 36 hours of just catching up with everybody I need to. Personally, I'd find that incredibly draining, but... I would find it kind of stimulating. Be like, holy shit, we haven't talked since sixth grade. What is up? You got kids? Me too. I, I, I could do that. I could do that. Now, I think uh, something that would actually help a lot on this is for all of your refuel stops, you've got to rope somebody into this. Because I don't think you actually want to stop at a gas station. This is an established cannonball run thing. So if you can stop somewhere that's not a fuel stop, so if you can get someone along the way that just has like a fuel system, like, you know, like a huge gravity fed fuel tank with a huge head of fuel on it and like some place near the interstate, that's a good idea. So you definitely don't have to wait for a fuel pump. Well, you, but want, you want the straight up uh, Dakar style, like and Formula One style, like gravity feeder with the, with the snorkel. So what a lot out. of people do if they're doing a real serious, like high funded run, they get people or volunteers, or they'll sometimes pay people or whatever to go to gas stations, fill those up, and then when they pull in, that person is ready there. They just shove it into the car. They don't even have to get out of the car, whatever. Now, I slightly disagree with this, and that I think for we've got so much extra. I mean, versus like the car time, there's like an extra six hours to get across the country here. I think you can pull up to a regular pump and get off. I think all you need to do is at scheduled times have someone ready to reserve a pump for you. I want the Dakar gravity feed. I want to just dump it in. I think I want the extra three minutes to stand next to the bike and do some like squats and, and, and whatever. But okay. Th this is a difference of strategy. It's fine. It's, it's all, it's all allowed. Um, 
let's see. Uh, the GPS isn't a problem. You can, I mean, you're going to have some sort of GPS on you just in case shit goes wrong. Uh, you, I think what you want to do is kind of memorize the route and then just have your destination at any given point just put on there. But you know, like you've just memorized over like two weeks, you know, you go for jogs and all you do is just repeat the names of the roads in order that you're going to go on, right? For two weeks before you, you leave on this thing. Um, okay, so other mods to the bike, right? So we talked about radar jammers. Increased fuel capacity is a must. I think you need to be able to do 400 miles at a time. Maybe not 400, but at least 300. I think you need to be able to go 300 miles at a time. If you do 300 miles at 90 miles an hour, you can stop and refuel, keep going, and you are well safe above that 73 miles an hour constant speed. Right? Yeah, so that'd be... If 37 is the combined mileage on an ST1300, you're going to want to carry like 11, 12 gallons. So you got to find somewhere to store an extra four gallons. Well, that's one side bag on a, on a Goldwing. Yeah. If you, yeah, I guess if you just have an electric, you could just do a hydro, you could just do straight up a, um, yeah, a couple of Harbor Freight, um, pumps yeah electric pumps Uh uh-huh and in fact they all you need to do you don't have to have them incorporated into the full fuel system all you need to be able to do is have an extra key to open up your fuel tank as you're going along and then get you get your fuel line and put it into your tank and then just turn the the like the fish tank pump on that's in yeah. your fuel bag in your fuel thing and just pump extra fuel into your already existing tank you don't have to like extend the tank system and like redo fuel lines and whatever you just need a fish tank pump that you can turn on to pump fuel up a line into your fuel tank as you're going along yeah well there's i mean there's a lot of technical ways you could you could think about how to do that. i would go very simple I mean, you're riding along at 90 miles an hour on the interstate for eight hours at a time. You're going to be able to get that fuel line into your tank. It's it's going to be doable. You're going to be bored enough at sections. It's going to be doable. Well, I mean, you're going to be stopping every four hours at, at minimum. If it's if you're going 400, if you're going 400 miles at 70 over 72 miles an hour. You're you're stopping at least every four hours at three, so it'd be it'd be yeah, it'd be two hours forty five minutes for every, or no, it'd be you know yeah, it'd be four well hours again. Let's for, assume if, it's a gold miles. wing. It's a gold wing, so or we're going to be getting at best twenty two miles per gallon. Uh, oh yeah, you're going to need like fifteen gallons. Yeah, so you're actually you're going to need a lot more. I'm going to need both side bags full of fuel. Uh, filling those side bags with fuel is going to be more complicated than refu- at the refueling than anything else. That's true. I feel like the ST 
1300 with its 7.7 gallon tank has got a lot going for it. I think Goldwing's at like six and a half. It's not that much better. It's all gonna. You're still gonna need auxiliary still, fuel tanks, I, just it, like the yeah, Goldwing. But it's still more fuel efficient and a bigger fuel tank. I think it's actually. I think it's got a lot going for it. Yeah, but you can't move your legs. I, I think it'll be okay. I mean, I mean, it's, it's going to take. You a lot. could put a, like a set of rear sets on it that you could move your legs you to. You could just like Superman for an hour at a time, you know, just uh, perhaps uh, give me another beer. Just hook <laughs> your feet up. Good. Hook your feet up on the passenger pegs and just Superman for a while. Okay, so okay, so okay, so um. Okay, so we've talked. Uh, so, what other bike mods? Obviously, like I'm gonna if if I'm doing this on a gold, I'm convinced I have to do it on a Goldwing, not the current Goldwing, an older Goldwing, um, a, a, a GL eighteen hundred. Um, although I do it on a fifteen hundred too. Um, <laughs> the only reason I prefer an eighteen hundred is I think it's more fuel efficient. Uh, the um, I'm putting like four sets of pegs on this bike for different places to put my feet. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, I'm just like every 20 minutes I'm sitting in a different seating position. I'm spending as much money as I can on different seats before I go. Um, I'm doing the Corbin seat. I'm doing whatever I'm doing an air Hawk. I'm doing everything. This is another reason I want to be able to stop at a gas station. If there's something where um, it's killing me, I want to be able to go, okay, I could, I've could. i got an air hawk seat. I'll put that on and see what that does for the next four hours. And, and, you know, and, and this sounds like a lot, but it's not that ridiculous. We were doing um, – minimum like 120 mile runs on the way down to Austin and it was kind of feeling like nothing after a while. Oh yeah, and well, so we were averaging what like just over 50 miles an hour like average speed over the day. Something like that. Yeah, 52ish somewhere around there. Yeah. So 52 miles an hour even when stopped was our speed. Yeah. So up that, you know, another 50%. Now that's pushing it, but I could, I, th- I feel like I could push it for 30 something hours. That's the absolute limit, but I think I could do that. Now, I think you would, one thing I would want to do is I would want like the most custom, like perfect, perfectly like isolating, like an aerodynamic windscreen i could get on that bike like how much can you extend that windscreen and get a little bit of a better drag coefficient and cut down the wind noise a little bit more oh no i'm just buying an 800 dollar awry helmet that's probably the way to go yeah like uh, that's another good way to go is just like get the best yeah get the best the best fucking helmet the best noise Actually, this is, you know what? This is actually a really, really good case for um, for the Cena uh, helmet with the active noise canceling. 
Ooh. I, but is that actually noise? Because your eardrums are still dealing with all of that pressure. So you're still going to get the fatigue. You just don't know you're getting the fatigue. Uh, no, I think it's mostly just the noise. So I think I think it's still just the noise. Um, and I don't know how... No, I have no idea how good the noise can the active noise canceling is on the Cena helmets and how it works. But if it actually But the does Cena work, itself is noise canceling. Uh, it's only a question of how much better the 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 Cena's sort of cup your ears in the in the purpose built helmet. I don't know no no the, I don't believe that the Cena actually does. The thirty K has active noise canceling. It for sure does. The 30K and onward do. Now, my cheapo that I just bought doesn't, but the 30K and onward have active noise canceling. I don't, look this up. I don't think it's worth it. I don't think it's very good because there's still so much air pocket and whatever. Um, but in any case, they're, they're definitely Cardo systems and current Cenus systems that do have it already. You don't have to have the helmet to have the active noise canceling. But I believe the 30K even had the noise canceling. Mm. I could be wrong on that. Feel free to call me a liar. But I think by like 2019, this was like pretty much standard on premium model Bluetooth units. Um, so, so um, again, the, the catheter, the food bag, the extra food tanks recruiting people along the way is a big deal now we've got a few thousand listeners across the country i don't see this as a generic uh oh the smh 10 r apparently does okay so if the 10 r has it the 30k has it Uh, yeah okay uh so recruiting people along the way is an advantage that we would have that our listeners would not. Like if your average asshole just wants to do this, they're going to have a hard time convincing people across the country to wait at gas stations for them to, to set shit up. But we could get a system of people across the country doing this for us, especially if we only needed like what? So every 400 miles, it's about what three and a half thousand miles across the country, right? Something like that, yeah. So we need to find like ten people maximum across the country to make this happen. Yeah. Now, apparently, for the car, for the for the car cannonball, you're going at such ridiculous speeds that basically, to beat the record, now you have to pay people. That when you know that there's cops in front of you, to be waiting to speed in front of you, to just eat take the eat the ticket for you, and you promise that you'll pay their ticket for them. It's just full on eastbound and down. Oh yeah, yeah. loaded up and truck. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. To hey, you shake the you shake the trees, I'll rake the leaves. Ten four, good buddy, for show, for show. Yeah, it's <laughs> all that, right? And uh, yeah, <laughs> watch out, there's bears around. Um, and uh, the <laughs> I know way too much CV lingo. The so. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, it was about just some double nickel smile shit. But okay, so that that's a strategy too. I don't think I would actually kind of like to do it without that. I'd like to just do it risking the ticket. And maybe just build it another five miles an hour for, like, the time I get pulled over doing 98. And the cop's like, you were doing 98. I got to get tickets. It's going to be, like, $240. And you're like, fuck. Yeah, but then you're like, all right, sorry, officer. And then just, boom, you're off, right? And that is a risk across Kansas. Kansas is probably the one thing where I would want listeners to be out there, like, looking for cops for me should you just but i feel like missouri illinois indiana like all that like that's easy shit it's it's like do you actually kansas is a real corridor do you actually just want to like cut south and go through like arkansas and like through southern kansas and get off of i-70 you're automatically building in four more hours that way it's suicide oh is it yeah what if you go north? What if you what if you take eighty? You're building in like two more hours. Hmm. There's gotta be No, you way. gotta do Kansas. You, you have to do I seventy Kansas. There's no other you gotta do Kansas and you gotta go I seventy over the mountains. And that's gonna slow you down a little bit. Well, then you gotta have the radar gun. You gotta have the radar. Yeah, you have to have the radar equipment. You absolutely have to have the radar equipment, and that's like another thousand dollars worth of cost. But you're setting a world record. I to me, the cannonball is up there with like a Bonneville record. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a whole different set of challenges. It's no, a whole. Di- it has a lot more to do with logistics than it does driving talent or mechanical engineering. But now, as, as I've told you many a time, if I were president, you know, this country needs a lot more working holidays. Oh, I'm fully and, in support of this. And if I were president, we would have a national cannonball day where we would shut down the interstate and just have like literally slice the country in half and just have an open nation like country long so i disagree i say we give it a four hour window as it moves across the country if you can't keep pace fuck off just fall out because if you can't keep pace, that means you're going to like push it harder than you should to try to keep up, and then you're going to create an extra dangerous situation. No, mm-hmm. you're on pace or you're falling off. Make it a four-hour window, right? It's a sliding window. A four-hour sliding window, right? We, we've got a runner and a follower on this for loop across the country, <laughs> right? And, and and we got a four hour moving window across the country and that's and that's it if you fall out of it fuck you you deserve the ticket what's what's the countrywide safety car gonna be oh it has to be the current year corvette i think you're right yeah but whatever the current year corvette is 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 the safety car yeah um <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I would, I would also make it a legal obligation that every year's NASCAR champion has to be driving it for at least 
20% of the time. Yeah. And maybe maybe the leading car like that opens the window can be like the NHTSA's only Dodge Hellcat. Now, it's tricky, too, because I want to make this obviously open for motorcycles and scooters, too. I think we should enact the scooter cannonball run to be explicitly no interstate. That's... That's a big ask. That's like... Hmm. That's not even like an endurance race anymore. That's more like... Oh, it makes it a multi-day thing. Yeah, that's like that's like doing the... Iditarod. That's like crossing the Sahara on camel. Yeah. It's like the Iditarod. Yeah, like, yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a different... It's a totally different dynamic. But I think the scooter... Because the weird thing now is that there are scooters that can do these interstates and can do the cannonball, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we know people that have done the scooter cannonball. None of them that have set records, but we know people have done it. And it's... it's uh, I think a legit scooter cannonball should have no interstates. I think it should all be state road. And I and I think I, I I and and I think that's appealing because it brings in a different dynamic. You have a lot more distance you have to cover. There's no realistic way of doing it without sleeping. So the logistics come into play a lot more. And I think that speaks to the whole nature of scootering anyway, because for. One of the reasons I love scooters is that you use scooters to do things more than you use motorcycles to do things. Motorcycles go faster. They're more capable on the road. But, well, this isn't entirely true because I have this like old Goldwing with shit tons of bags that I go to Walmart with and whatever. But in general, people go motorcycling kind of for fun. And a lot of people use their scooters to, like, go to the hardware store or go grocery shopping or whatever, right? And I think scootering involves carrying shit with you more often than motorcycling. There's a logistics thing to scootering more than there is to motorcycling. And I think the idea of cutting out interstates on a scooter on the official scooter counter uh cannonball is more reflective of scootering across the country than doing it with interstates it's true deep stuff here (laughs) well it gets it gets a lot more complicated as well because like like as you're planning your route how much more complicated is it going to be when, like, just roads get closed? I love like, that we said we would spend eight minutes on this 40 minutes ago. It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. 
I, I still want to hear, like, I, I'm sure we have left a million loopholes in this. I, I really want to hear, listeners, what what's your cannonball setup? Come on. Let, let's think this through. I don't know. I mean... If enough listeners throw in like five thousand dollars, <laughs> I'll do this. <laughs> I think five thousand dollars would be my budget of making this happen for buying a bike, setting it up the way that I need to, uh, shipping me and the bike out to New York. Because I think I can get a bike for like three grand. I think I can get it the way that I need it for like five hundred dollars. And I think it'll take like another grand to ship me out to in the bike to New York. And I think it'll cost like six, yeah, let's call it five and a half thousand dollars. We'll get me to from, from here in Colorado with the bike set up the way I need it to New York and then across the country to LA. And if I don't make it in time, it's my own fault. If I do make it, all I got to do is get back to Colorado and and someone will be like, you know what? You set a world record. We'll, we'll get you back to Colorado. <laughs> um, I, I think, I think five and a half thousand dollars would get would, is what I would need to set this record. I honestly think I could do it. I really do. Um, Ooh, what I time of year would you do it? Swigs? Uh, I do it in July. You don't think it's a bit much? Like, it's a lot of hot air going over you in Utah and every, I mean. Uh, in Utah, yeah, but that's I think I'd do it September, early September. Well, September, actually, September's probably okay when you're, because you're going to have to go over the mountains, but. If you go over the mountains... September's September. a nice time to leave New York. It's a nice time to go through <laughs> Pennsylvania, Indiana, Ohio. Uh, by the time you get to Colorado, it's like dry and 72. It's a nice time to go over the mountains. It's not baking hot through um, Utah, Nevada. You're going to go through Vegas doing this shit. Yeah, I guess, well, actually, if you're going over the Rockies at noon, if you're timing it so you're going over the Rockies at noon, you're probably okay to do it in September. Well, you've got to give any time you're going through everything a few hours window as well, because you might get pulled over, you might have to make up time. You know, part of the whole thing of making the trip, did I just get the last beer? Yeah, you're good. All right. Um, well, now we know this episode's coming to a close. <laughs> Uh, part of it, I think, I mean, you gotta get everything a few hours window, but in general, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I think early September is when I want to do it. Okay. Yeah. I'd rather do early September than I would now, like late April, early May, because late April, early May is too unpredictable for like massive cold spells and like weird mm -hmm. winter storms. Maybe August. Whereas, like, maybe August. You is know, good. global warming, this and that. We're getting a lot of like nice Indian summer. 
I, I feel like early September is just, I mean, September's my favorite month, no matter where I am in the world. It's just nice in September. It's just nice. Okay. I mean, maybe I'll adjust to August or late August, maybe. <sighs> but yeah. The dog days of summer? Really? What? No, late August is chill. That's fine. Uh, I'm going I'm going early September. But anyway, all right. As we've said, I I really really listeners, all I really want to hear. I want to know your bike. What time are you going to leave? What date do you want to leave? What mods are you going to do to your bike? And what's your personal conditioning? What what these are the main focuses. And then what other weird little things have you thought of that we haven't thought of? How are we gonna cross this distance the fastest? What's what time saving little thing have you thought of that we haven't thought of? Because it, you must have crazy shit. You must have crazy shit on there. I mean, some listener is going to be, like, way more up-to-date on current, like, radar detector technology than we are. Because, honestly, I know nothing about police radar detectors. Well, first of all, police don't use radar. So I don't know why everyone calls them radar <laughs> detectors. But, um... Uh, I don't know anything about those since dad bought one when he bought his um, uh, Carrera S in like 2003 and he was getting too many tickets. So he bought a detector for the dashboard. And as far as I could tell, it didn't do shit. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about radar detectors. I know that you're going to want one, but I don't know how they work. Oh, it's, um, no, it's, I understand it's, the principle on how they work. I just don't know like how, like what advancements have been made on the cop side, mm -hmm. on the consumer side. I don't know how that attrition has gone on. I don't know either. But anyway, yeah, like, I mean, do you want to paint your whole bike black? Is that still a thing? Uh, is there, like, a thing with, like, reflective paint or anything anymore? I don't know. Um, is there something with, like, I don't know, can you pay police officers off? Can you, like, call police stations and be like, hey, I'm doing this thing. Don't bother to pull me over because these are the speeds I'm going to be doing. Is that a thing? I don't know. I don't know. It might be. Um, yeah. I, I would, I, nothing would please me more than to do a whole episode where we have like 20 people that want to call in and one by one, we just go through your iron, your, your, your cannonball setup. I would love that. I <laughs> this is a world record. And it's, I, I really think I could do it. 
Imagine if world-class athletes applied themselves to this. It's insane to me that it's only like almost 39 hours is the record. Uh, it, that's insane to me. I, it's only an average speed of slightly under 73 miles an hour. I, I It feels like... I know I could average 80 across the country. I know I could. Yeah. We casually can do 55 across the country. Like, just like smoking cigarettes and bullshitting drinking coffee at gas stations. You and me. Yeah. Like, without pushing ourselves at all. Yeah, it makes me... I'm just trying to think, like... At this point, I'm wondering if there's some sort of, like, ultimate Vetter Streamliner approach to this. Oh, there is. Yeah, this is just... This is the... But... That's the whole point is that we're, we're talking about untapped potential. As soon as like we or one of our listeners would break this, someone else would, would immediately crush it. But for some reason, America's a car culture and the motorcycle, um, uh, 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 speed record isn't coveted, even though again, the whole thing, Cannonball, is named after the guy that said it on a motorcycle. Like, it is the record to set. But it's a car culture, so people don't put the the thing on it. It also makes me wonder, like, what are the Cannonball records for a bunch of European company, uh, countries? What's the Russian cannonball record? What what would that be? Would that be like I don't know. I well I it I don't know, St. Petersburg to like the Ir- peninsula or like whatever uh, what what's the I don't know what the name of the place yeah. is, but yeah, the, the the other side of Alaska, the other side of the Aleutian Islands. Um yeah. I mean, does this involve the road of bones? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, but yeah, what 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 is the record from Prudhoe Bay to the bottom of Argentina in terms of time? What is it on a car? What is it on a motorcycle? There's a lot of really cool, really weird distance records that have not been set, really. But this is this is the the one that has the most zazz, right? It's true, yeah. All right, so it's like closing in on two thirty in the morning. Oh yeah, we should. <laughs> All right. All right. So okay, let's <laughs> Okay. All right. So let's end this episode um reminding listeners again, yeah. 
if uh, you know what at the end, I'm going to start putting this I at the, at the beginning of this episode I was trying to remember something that I wanted to say and I couldn't remember what it was. I now remember what it is. Every episode from now on, I have a list of people working on the 7 degrees of Kevin Bacon theory. You, our listeners, if you are a few degrees from or have any way of getting us to, because I've recently tried and failed, I want to get in contact with perhaps Justin Bieber, Alanis Morissette, Tom Cruise, Nicolas Cage, Vanilla Ice, Fabio, and oh, there was another really, really good one. Uh, oh, Brad Pitt. And this list is going to keep extending in length, but this is where I'm starting. If you're within seven degrees of these people, throw us a line. We don't want to talk to them about their celebrity. We just want to talk to them about motorcycles. Let's see where we get. All right. With that, let's roll out of this episode, Swigs. You ready? Let's do it. Okay. And remember to keep fighting and or fucking the dragon. And I don't want to die Just want to ride on my motorcycle mm-hmm, Cool I really did email Vanilla Ice this week.